Welcome to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to people who want to speak more as a way to build their income and grow their business. Well, welcome everyone. This is the Wealthy Speaker Teleclass Series. This is the Punch Up Your Speech with Humor Teleclass with our special guest expert, Ron Culberson. We are uh, doing a few things with technology today, so I, I hope you'll uh, bear with us and just we'll, we'll let you know um, on the outset how everything goes and whether or not this is a good idea or a bad idea. So one thing I want to let everybody know is that you will have an opportunity to ask Ron questions at the end. We're going to attempt to open it up so that everyone can uh, can have a chance to uh, ask a question. But if you have a question as we're going, you can go to another t- attempt at uh, new technology here. You can go to speakerlauncher.com and you can uh, click on live help online. That is a direct access to me. That's a live chat right into me. And uh, if you're having trouble hearing or anything like that, maybe you can let me know via that. Ron Culberson is a humorist a speaker, a columnist, and the author of three books, the most recent being Do It Well, Make It Fun, The Keys for Success in Life, Death, and Almost Everything in Between. Uh, I'd pause for the laughter, Ron, but uh, everybody's muted right now. Ron helps mission-driven organizations focus on excellence while making their work more enjoyable. Ron has another company called Funner Speeches, and he and his partner help executives, politicians, and speakers punch up their speeches with humor. That's something that we're going to talk to you about at the end, Ron, and uh, find out uh, how people can get in touch with you about that service that you offer. Hold on, I just have somebody calling in on the wrong line. Now, last week, uh, Ron was installed as the president of the National Speakers Association, so we are most grateful that he's taken the time to be with us today. So welcome, Ron Culberson, to the call. We had a little trouble getting you on here, but you're here now. Thanks so much. I hope everybody can hear me. (laughs) (laughs) I can hear you, Ron. You you might want to turn up the volume a little bit if you you have the ability to. Um, Tell us briefly how you came to land at this point in your career, you're president of the NSA, but where did you start? I know that you didn't begin there. Well, I'm one of those people that actually, uh, one of my goals early in life was to be class clown in my high school, and I I didn't get that superlative. Unfortunately, I got teacher's pet, which is such a disappointment. I I knew half the, most of the teachers were parents of friends of mine, so I'd grown up with them. That's probably why I got teacher's pet, but I was always kind of funny in situations in school and other places. So um, when I went to uh, graduate school, I, I never considered stand-up comedy or anything where I would actually do it for a living, but I was interested in it as a hobby. So I went to graduate school. I actually did my graduate thesis on humor. And I had had an opportunity to write some humor in high school and college. And when I did my graduate thesis on it, I accumulated a great deal of knowledge on the benefits of humor. Why is humor helpful to us? So I put together a little 30-minute presentation, and I was working in a hospital at the time, so I did it for the staff of the hospital, then I did it for another place in the community. And long story short, I started, when I got into hospice care, which was my first profession, I started speaking at the National Hospice Organizations Conference. And it was that organization where I got exposure uh, to other people who then brought me in to speak in their organization. So that's that's kind of how I got into this business. I was doing it all for fun but got good at it, and the exposure got me business. So 
um, once I was getting requests outside of my job uh, to the point that I, I thought maybe a little bit of work I could do this full time, I, I then quit my job and started my business. That was about 16 years ago. Wow. And, you know, as a social worker working in hospice, you know, it must have been very difficult for you to even manage to be thinking about humor and having fun on the job in that environment. So you really, I mean, talk about the type of job that would be, you know, a dark cloud over you every single day. Was that kind of part of it for you moving into this next career? Yeah, well, it's not a barrel of laughs, the work itself, but here's the very cool thing about hospice care is that the people that work there get it. They understand the need for balance in life because on a day-to-day basis, they see, I don't want to say the tragic side of life because it's just a part of life, but what they saw was uh, one of the sad parts of life. But the cool thing about it was it was a very um, inspiring environment to be in. I mean, the, the fact that we had the privilege to go in at that point in someone's life and provide help to them was quite a privilege. And I think by doing that, we we gained an appreciation of both the tragedy and the joy in life. So so the cool thing about that was is that people were very fun to work with. Uh, they did not they did not it wasn't a depressing environment in the least. The work was very serious and could be heavy at times, but the people I worked with were great fun people. So that's where I think I saw that balance between joy and tragedy actually play out. Wow. Well, I know that you bring that into your uh, into your world now as a professional speaker. So Ron is a full-time professional out there speaker, and uh, a little bit of what he does on the side is helping people punch up their speech with humor. Now, the NSA program, the, the leadership speech that you just did, I've been going to NSA for 18 years now, and uh, and I have never seen a president – enter in the way that you entered uh, and I'm sure that everybody's thinking oh damn I should have been on the board this year this guy looks yeah. like he's going to be a really fun leader tell us a little bit about that particular speech were you nervous going into it how long did you work on it etc well I told some of my humor buddies at the convention that I'm, I'm we had to go out for a board meeting so I'm there for about six days before I actually make this speech and I just kept looking at it and looking at it going, number one, it's not that good. Number two, it's not that funny. And I just, But I couldn't come up with anything better. And I kept thinking, this is just not going to work. And I think that's that self-doubt that we probably all have when we're looking at our own material and not really seeing seeing what the potential is. But but my my whole thing, when you talk about my last book, Do It Well, Make It Fun, the whole concept behind that is not to diminish the integrity of what we do through the use of humor, but to add to the the value of what we do with humor. So it starts with being good at what we do and then adding fun and humor to it. So when I when I looked at this presidential speech, my main goal was how can I convey something with integrity but do it in a fun way so it's not boring? Because my sense is is that that the people at the conference don't come to see the president speak. It's an important part of the conference, just that transition, but they're really there to see the keynotes. They're there to see the content experts. So I don't I don't want to be that guy that comes up on stage and everybody's like looking at their watch going, when do we get to the keynote? So my goal was to take every component of the process and try to make it a little more fun. So as an example, when I did the induction of the board and then the induction of all the chapter presidents, I was given this script that was just deathly boring. So I just played around with it a little bit. Now, again, not to diminish the integrity or the 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 seriousness or the dignity of the event, but to just make that process a little more fun. 
Right. And it was definitely well, well done. And not at all in any way where if you were new to NSA, you might think, whoa, what are these people doing? And they're in serious trouble with this guy at the helm. It really felt uh, very much like you had a reverence for the position but at the same time, uh, we're going to make it fun. And so this is what we're here talking about today is how can people, you know, some of their topic matter are probably pretty serious. And right. so how do they punch it up? So, um, you know, you have a very particular brand of humor. I have a word for it, but you tell me what you call your particular brand of humor. Well, um I was I was talking to Sam Horner about this many many years ago, and she she called it good humor. But since there's already ice cream by that name, we decided that wasn't a good path to go down necessarily. But you, you know, I when I started this business, I I have to tell you, and this you know, stepping behind the curtain, this is kind of one of those things. I don't talk to a lot of people about that, and so since it's just the two of us here, um, yeah. <laughs> I, I the hundred I, I, of our closest friends, right? I always wanted to be the guy that people said, "Hey, he's a nice guy." Very funny, but there's something there that takes it to a deeper level. And I used to tell people that I was a deeply shallow person. And I think what that means to me is is that, you know, I've had some pretty cool life experiences with hospice and some other things. And so I think I have a, a depth of understanding about our lives and our work, but I'm also funny. And so I kind of want to integrate that all together. So there's this, uh, I think there's a, there's a niceness to it. There's an engagement to it. There's a self-deprecation to it, but yeah. all all in the attention of bringing it all together in a in a in a meaningful way. I guess that's it's a long explanation, but that's always the way I've seen it. It's almost like integrity humor. You know, it's fun right. without really diminishing anybody else at all. If anything, you're more self-deprecating than anything else, and I really ad- right. admire that. Um, so let's say for someone who may not be that particular brand of humor, what are some of the options for them? Because I know you help people who perhaps aren't the funniest people in the world. You help politicians, you help executives, right. and so and also other professional speakers. What are the different types of humor that you have seen be successful with kind of different types of people? Well, I think I think the first thing is that people need to recognize they can be funny. I, so many people come up to me and say, I'm not a funny person. And I, I kind of take issue with that because if I want to play tennis, I may never be a Rafael Nadal as far as my tennis skills, but that doesn't mean I can't go out on the weekend and have a good time and play tennis. So I think we have to put our expectations realistically. What are we trying to do? And sometimes for someone that is that it tends to be more of a serious person, it's not necessarily going to be a laugh every every three minutes or every two minutes or whatever. Maybe it's a laugh every ten minutes. Maybe it's something fun that you get the audience to do where they laugh, but because you got them to laugh, they think you're funny. Um, one of the things I've talked to speakers about is the easiest, the, the, the absolute easiest way to, enter, uh, to add humor to a presentation, if you're not good at creating it on your own, is just to quote somebody who did say something funny. Um, I remember... I remember um, uh, I think it was Jerry Seinfeld who who quoted that study that said public speaking is the number one fear among people and it's it's rated higher than death and he said that means that if you're giving a eulogy at a funeral you'd rather be in the coffin. <laughs> and I just think that's a funny thing. Now, I didn't have to come up with that. I give him attribution. I can quote that, but I've used that quote in a lot of different presentations when I've talked to hospice groups or others who would get that connection to the death and dying thing. 
So, so that's an easy way to do it. So if I'm not really funny, maybe I can just share something that someone else said. Now, I do have to deliver it. That's the one, the one caveat is I have to be able to deliver it in a way that's effective. But, but that's the easiest way. And then we go into personal stories. Uh, then we may get into customized writing. And it just goes higher and higher up the scale with, with regard to what skill you actually have or want to put into it. What do you think about the use of just cute, fun little cartoons? I think those are overdone. Are too many people doing it, or is it okay? Well, I I tend not to do that for the copyright reasons. Is that um, I I am a big fan of the far side, and one of my favorite things about the far side is is that I know that not everybody gets it, and for some reason that's fun to me. (laughs) But (laughs) that makes um, sense. Yeah, but the problem is is that those are copyrighted. So if I'm using them in an environment where I'm making money, I have to get permission to use those, and. Mm-hmm. For some of them, it's just such a, a cumbersome process to get it that, in my opinion, it's just not worth the time and energy. I can come up with a line on my own just as easy for that. But I think that certainly is a way. Now, there are custom cartoonists out there who will do them for you, and um, I think those are great. Um, when, when I do my programs for speakers, when I, especially when I go to NSA chapters, I tell them there are three ways of adding humor. One is verbal, which is what speakers tend to think is the only way. The second is visual, and that would that would include cartoons and you know things that you do physically that people see, or putting clip art or quotes or things in your handouts, that kind of thing. And the other is experiential, where you're actually creating opportunities for humor to happen organically, as opposed to creating it. So yeah, I think that's just as valid as other types of humor. And so maybe rather than the cartoons, because of the copyright issue, maybe you see a funny sign on in front of a church or something like that. And you might take a picture of the sign, and that way it's just kind of public domain. So there's a lot, and you see you see a lot of that. Yeah, I'll give you a perfect example of that. I saw something somewhere. Somebody showed me a cartoon that kind of had a vague resemblance to this. And and so here's what I talk to when I talk to audiences about adding humor to their work environment. I'll tell them that I work out of my home. I'm a sole proprietor. I don't I don't work in an office with tons of staff around like many of them do. So I have to come up with my own way of generating humor and fun in my office. And so I tell them, if you come into my office, you would see this on my wall, and I throw up on the PowerPoint slide a photo of me, and underneath it it has my name, and it says Employee of the Month. And <laughs> and so it's, it, it visually it's very, very funny. And I've told this, like I'm telling it to you now, it's still funny, but it's not nearly as funny as it is when you see the visual. Now, my friend David Glickman helped me with that, and what we did to take that to the next level was – then I say, and that's only January, and I flip through February, March, April, May, and then I have a, then I have a slide with like six of them for the rest of the year on there, that's and funny. that gets a second laugh, but it's all visual. So, um, so I think that and it's you know, homemade those can be visual. really powerful. I yeah. love homemade visual. That's a great, great idea. So this is a this is a good learn uh, a good tip for everybody out there. Is that if you're not naturally funny, what can you do to create some humor using yourself in what we'll call homemade visual? Love that. Right. That's a great idea. Okay. Yeah, and the signs. The signs. I think are the other the other great way. If you're out, if you don't, if you're not taking pictures or something with your phone. I was in North Carolina a couple of weeks ago, and I saw a company called Smith and Nephew. Not Smith and Sons, but Smith and Nephew. And, and of course, my first thought was, you know, right next to them was an organization called Smith and Second Cousin Once Removed. And I just, you know, I kept thinking, how does, how did he come up with that? Can't you just use a name? And it was just, it was funny to me. So I took a picture yeah. of it. 
Well, the visual of that is going to get a laugh, and then if I can tag on to it something even funnier, then I get two for one. There you go. Two for one. Okay, so we've got um, verbal, visual, experiential type humor. Let's talk a little bit about being um, telling more humor in your stories. Sometimes I've really noticed, and this is I think a lot of people might consider studying comedians, where right. they'll use, you'll, you'll really notice, that they use one word versus another and and just you know using 50 cent words instead of a nickel word tell us a little bit more about how you do that well there are certain funny words and uh, one of the words that I, one of the things i used in my president's acceptance speech was that um i said um when i went to say that everybody was now installed i said with the power vested in me as the president of the national speakers association and the sergeant in arms of the heather locklear fan club you know so so the, the word Locklear, Heather Locklear is a funny word. Now, yeah. I was a fan of Heather Locklear's back in the day, but the word is funny, so I will use that. That's funnier than Britney Spears. The word yeah. sounds funnier. So you hear, and it's, it's a K word. It's also just the visual that creates it's a lot of different things happening there, but it's funnier. So when, I'm, when we're writing things, we're looking for that funny word. Uh, I was talking to a humorous friend of mine one time, and I, I, I came up with this joke. I said, do you know what the the state symbol for the state of Florida is, and he said, what? I said, it's the blinking left turn signal, because there are all these <laughs> retired people down there who leave the turn signals on. I'm, by the way, I'm just explaining that for the people who didn't get it. Um, so, so, so here's the thing about that, that joke. If I had said the symbol is a right turn signal, it's not as funny. Number one, left is funnier than right. When you just hear it, it sounds funnier. Then you add the word blinking to it, and it ha- brings it to a whole new dimension. And that's how that joke evolved. I tried it first, and I said it first with the right turn signal. And then over the next two times I told it, I adjusted it, and I got a much better response. That's how I think. That's how we write. That's how humorists and comedians write. They keep playing with the words until they get that right combination. Yeah. And you can find that a small audience will respond to one thing, and a larger audience will respond to something else. One of my clients in the past has had a comedian was one of his coaches, and so he would coach him and say, now this might not fly with the smaller audience, but try it with the bigger one. I bet you'll get success. And sure enough, you know, there it's working. So I think that uh, trying and really testing things out is really the way to go, don't you think? It is. And I will say that uh, there was a great book written by Larry Wilde, um, I think it's called Great Comedians Talk About Humor. I can't, I'm, I'm looking for it. I don't see it right in front of me right now. But the, the idea is that he interviewed all these great comedians like Jack Benny and Milton Berle and all these guys. And they will talk about the fact that you can go to the same audience on two different nights and it's, it, it's a totally different response, like in a comedy mm. club. So it can, it can go over. Now, I'll tell you something really significant about a large and a small audience when it comes to humor is that sometimes the energy is different and we don't deliver it the same way. If I get in a group of, of 10 people, I have a tendency to hold back rather than fully committing to the, the humor or the line. And what will often happen then is it comes across as flat. And if it's flat, it's not going to connect the same way. So, um, so I think that that's another thing that happens when you get different size audiences or different dynamics within the audience. You've got a group of doctors versus uh, a group of nurses. They respond to different kinds of things. And you have to know that going in so that you adjust the material accordingly. Gotcha. 
Now, before we go to the next question, I just want people to know if they would like to ask a question, I'm trying a new technology here, if you will go to speakerlauncher.com and look for the uh, little green box on the left-hand side that says Live Help Online, that's a connection directly with me, and uh, you can go ahead and ask me a question if we get to uh, before the end of the call here. Now, I have another technology to try at the end of the call, so... We'll, uh, we're, we're testing all kinds of new things here, and I appreciate all of your uh, patience as we were getting the call started. Okay, so uh, you have got humor going on all around you every single day. How do you go in and kind of mine it for the best stuff to use in your speeches? Well, you know, probably one of the best books I ever read about that is Jeannie Robertson's book called Don't Let the Funny Stuff Get Away. I'm not sure it's still out there, uh, mm-hmm. if you can still get it, but you probably find used copies online. Um, sure. And her whole thing, her whole thing, which I, I will be bluntly honest and say that I'm not nearly as diligent about as I should be, is that every day, she, at the end of the day, she kind of does an inventory of what happened during the day or what things she uh-huh. saw. What I tend to do is when I see something funny or something strikes me, I write it down. I used to carry a pen and paper. Now I use my smartphone. Uh, I'll take a picture. I'll write it down, and I'll write a couple a sentence about what I saw so that I don't forget it. Here's the key, though, is that great writers will tell you this all the time. No matter how good of an idea you come up with or how good of something that you see out in the environment is, you will forget it. And it does not matter what it is. That's the way our brains work. And so it's just safer to write it down whenever it happens. Then we take the material and work it so that it becomes even funnier. There are stories in my life or things that I use in my programs that are funny stories, but I want them to be even funnier in the telling. So I'll I'll even enhance them a little bit more in the way that I tell it, not necessarily changing the facts, but just the way that it's told. Um, but but I think it's just, it's, I think part of it is just being aware that it's there and you've got to constantly look for it. Because if you're not paying attention, you'll pass by something really funny and just never even notice it. But it's it's there all around us. So constantly, constantly thinking about it. And I think that uh, especially if you have kind of a dry subject matter, being able to inject this kind of humor into it is going to be invaluable. What do you? Can you give us some examples of some serious content made funny? Yeah, well, um, so a couple of years ago I had a motorcycle accident. And uh, it was, you know, it was one of those classic situations that all people who ride motorcycles dread. I'm going about 60 miles down a highway, 60 miles an hour down a highway when a truck pulls out in front of me because he doesn't see me. And it was one of those situations where I did everything I was supposed to do that they taught me in the classes, the safety classes. I, I locked my brakes. I slid in a straight line. I went around the front edge of the truck so I didn't hit the truck, but I had to go off the road. And when I did that, I hit some gravel and the bike went one way and I went another. Now, Luckily, I was banged up and had 10 stitches in my chin, but that was it. If I had hit anything stationary, it would have been much worse. Um, That story in and of itself is not a funny story per se, but what happened throughout the story was. And so, so I talk about some of the things that happened that made it funny to me and made the experience better. Uh, you made it less give us the funny version? Give yeah. us the funny so, version of the story. So, so one of the things that I talk about is I got up and the first thing I did was check my face because as a speaker, 
you know, I'm concerned that my face is going to be all chewed up and I'll never have business again. And and so I checked my face. It looked fine. And then I looked over and two funny things I saw immediately. One is that my motorcycle landed in the in the front yard of a towing company. I'm thinking, <laughs> well, that you know, I'm saving money already because they just had to drag it behind the door and then it was done. The the second thing was there's an EMT, an emergency medical technician, standing right there that watched the whole thing. And so he comes over to me, and he grabs me by the shoulders, and he says, what day is it? What day is it? And, and I know what he was doing. He's trying to determine whether I had any kind of head trauma. But uh, I just looked at him, and I pointed to my face, which at this point was just a bloody mess. And I said, look at my face. I said, dude, this doesn't matter whether it's Wednesday or Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and, and, and so, so my way of coping with this, and then, of course, uh, I, I, the line that I use in my program is to say that apparently – Sarcasm is a sign of head trauma because he made me lie down after I said that. So, so, so all of that actually happened, but then I'm telling it in a way that sh- what I try to show people is that even in the most dire situations, there are funny things that happen. And I'm not making fun of the dire situation. I'm not making fun of anybody that's had a bad motorcycle accident. What I'm doing is making fun of the process that's going on at the time where we find the balance to whatever's going on. And that mm-hmm. metaphorically is really what I talk about in my programs anyway, so it fits really nicely with the theme of my program. Nice, nice. Now, you mentioned uh, Jeannie Robertson, and anyone who wants to study, uh, you know, a speech, and I feel like they should study your your president's speech as well, but I feel like that wasn't exactly the, the speech that um, – you know, just delineated funny from beginning to end in, because you had business that you had to do. Right. Right. But uh, Jeannie's opening session at this convention that just what happened last weekend at Indianapolis, if anybody wants to pick up a video, I would say video because visually Jeannie is right. something to behold. And uh, it, it was quite, I would say, one of the best opening. And the thing is, with her accent, when she calls her husband left brain, left brain, it just, every time, it just totally, I mean, I don't know what else she could have called him that would never have sounded as good in a speech. She, maybe she used that on purpose. Yeah. But yeah. Um, that one is one to study, don't you think? Yeah, I think it is. And as a matter of fact, about 10 years ago, the last time she spoke at NSA, um, was a conference where she and Lou Heckler, Mark Scherenbrock, and Tim Gard all spoke at the same conference. Oh, and I'll, yeah. I'll I'll never forget buying the, the – back then there were audio tapes, and I bought the tapes, the cassette tapes, and I bought them of all four of them. And for several years, I would just pop them in the player and listen to them, just yeah. studying what they were doing. And yeah. one of the things that's amazing about Jeannie is, is that she has an incredible work ethic. And I think this is where a lot of us fall down on the job. Um, if, you, if you've ever watched the movie Comedian that shows Jerry Seinfeld doing his whole new – stand-up act after he finished doing the show, Seinfeld show, um, you see what an incredible work ethic he has. He is constantly, constantly working the material. She does the same thing. I saw her six months ago, and she was working. Uh, I saw her perform, but she was using one of those stories and working it through, the ones, the yeah. ones that she told at NSA. She, she writes it, then she hones it and hones it, and she changes it and adds to it and basically just continues to fine-tune uh, how it's told. And that yeah. really is impressive. 
It really is. And I think that studying different comedians and that, that show that you mentioned, the uh, was it a special or a movie comedian? It was a movie. It was a documentary movie where it showed him re- rewriting his material. Yeah. I think that that's something to be studied. Um, now, Mike has asked us a question online. Uh, easy question, Ron. Who's the funniest person you know or list the funniest people that inspire you? Well, I, I think as far as speakers go, I think Jeannie Robertson is one of the funniest people I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I'm also a big fan of uh, Tim Gard and uh, David Glickman and George Campbell and Mark Mayfield and Dale Irvin. I think all those guys are hilarious. Now, when you get out into the world of comedy, I was a hardcore Steve Martin fan. And I think mm-hmm. his autobiography called Born Standing Up is a brilliant, a brilliant book because you actually see what he was doing, and he was he was really destroying sort of the standard of comedy when he started his comedy because he wanted to do something different. And uh, I'll never forget a line in that book where he says, I watched comedy clubs, and people were anticipating the punchline and laughing before it was delivered. He said, I wanted to create, a, I wanted to create comedy where they didn't know it had happened until I was on to the next joke. Oh, and I thought, yeah. that's just amazing, but... But I think he's brilliant. I think Brian Regan is really, really funny. And what I love about him is he's 100% squeaky clean, and you can take that's your what I was just gonna say. You yeah. remind me of Brian Regan because of that squeaky clean element. And if you all will go on to uh, brianregan.com, I think it's R-E-A-G-A-N. Do I have that right? Yeah. I, I can't Brian remember how Reagan. it's spelled, but I think it might be R-E-G-A-N, but I'm not sure. Just uh, Google Brian Reagan Comedian, and you uh, we've purchased, my husband and I have purchased his DVDs in the past, and they are all squeaky clean, yet very, very, very funny. And that is kind of my favorite brand of humor because uh, of being, I guess, maybe in this corporate environment that, that we all live and work in, we can't really get away with much different. And I also feel like... Sometimes swearing and other things are the lowest common denominator. They're not necessarily as smart and challenging. It's not as easy to do it either, and uh, I really appreciate that out of Brian Reagan. Okay, thank you for sharing. If anybody else would like to ask a question, go to speakerlauncher.com and click on that little green box that says live chat, live help online, and uh, I'll get your question in. Okay, so we know delivery is so important. What techniques can we offer our audience today for delivering humor effectively? Well, this is one of those intangible, I shouldn't say intangible, but it's more of an abstract concept to me. I find it hard to actually teach delivery because there's so much feel involved. It's just there's a there's something about it that is intuitive, and, and sometimes it's hard to describe, but... But what I do is I just play around with things. Uh, you know, a friend of, David Glickman and I were talking about this the other day is that we're amazed at how we can change one word in a sentence and get a whole different reaction from the audience. And you would think that after years of doing this, we would know it before we got there, but then we still learn. And, um, and I'll give you a perfect example. Um, I'm in a rotary club, and I've, I've been rotary for a dozen years or so. My dad was a Rotarian for over 50 years, so it's kind of in my DNA. I, I enjoy doing service uh, in the community, that kind of thing. So one of the things that I use my Rotary Club for is to try out material. I set a goal of saying something funny every time I go to a meeting. Um, so I'll just stand up and say something based on what's happened. And uh, one time I had come back from a trip, and I had been in the baggage claim area of this airport, and I'm watching the luggage come out, and there's a suitcase and another suitcase and another suitcase, and then there's a woman's bra 
just laying on the conveyor belt in between the suitcases. Now, there was no indication from the suitcases. They weren't busted up. There was no indication why it should be there. And so, of course, my first thought is, why? how does that happen? You know? <laughs> like, like I said, I'm not an engineer. I don't know if they can just pop off. I don't know how that works. But, but then my second thought was, who's going to pick it up? So I'm looking and watching, and the thing goes round and round and round. Nobody touches it. Okay, so that's the story. Um, not much to it, but it gets a good laugh. It's just a funny image. The first time I told that in my Rotary Club, I came back to, from that trip. I stood up and said, I just want to share something with you. I was in the airport yesterday, and I'm watching the luggage come out, and I see a single woman's bra on the conveyor belt, meaning, of course, there's only one of them there. And somebody in my Rotary Club goes, how do you know she was single? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then, of course, I said, because uh, we discussed it over drinks afterwards. But now, so here's the thing. <laughs> Here's the thing. I had worded it incorrectly, so I created confusion in what I was saying. Right. And that's the beauty of trying material out is that you try it and you realize, oh, that didn't come across the way I intended or that didn't work the way I intended. So practicing it with friends or with family and saying, hey, is this funny? Or going to somebody like me, like David Glickman and I are just really close friends, so we run material by each other all the time. And we'll just mm -hmm. call each other up and say, hey, is this funny? And, and just to get a feel for the pacing, the flow, the, the delivery, all that kind of stuff. So I think that's probably the best way to, to get that feedback is trying it out. Because sometimes we don't have that inner barometer that's really clear about about the delivery itself. Gotcha. Gotcha. Hey, we have a couple of questions coming across here. So I want to just reiterate uh, Jeannie Robertson. Jeannie is J-E-A-N-N-I-E -N -N -E Robertson. If you Google Jeannie Robertson uh, comedy, I think you will get it. There, she's got tons of stuff out on YouTube that you can look at for free. Uh, it's actually, actually J-E-A-N-N-E, not I-E. A-A-E, sorry about that. Okay, thank you for clarifying. J-E-A-N-N-E Robertson. Right. That's one that we were talking about. Uh, another question that came up was, what do you do if material that you've relayed isn't necessarily offensive, but somebody got offended by it. How do you respond to that? <laughs> oh, the ultimate dilemma. Um, this <laughs> happens to me all the time. And I say that not like it happens to me all the time, but but um, I, I am very conservative in my humor, so there's no, there's no malice, no ill intent when I deliver something. But it's funny to me how people will take it differently. For instance, I tell a story about going tubing down a river when I was a kid, and I was 13 years old, skinny as a beanpole, and then I'll say, but I was chiseled, you know, meaning like I was muscular, like I was cut. Yeah. And it gets a funny reaction. People laugh at that because I tell them I weigh like 85 pounds, but I was chiseled. Well, some woman thought that that was something sexual. I don't think she'd ever heard that phrase before, so she didn't know what it was. Oh, that's funny. And so my, the evaluation form, she just ripped me apart uh, over and over and over about how sexual I was. Well, that's just so far from who I am that it oh, – but, but, but here's the problem is that it – it goes across the coordinator's desk or the person that hired me sees all that. And, right. of course, it has an impact. And so, you know, it's important to have a conversation. If anybody ever said that they were offended to me, I did have somebody tell me they were offended by something, I immediately apologize. And I just tell them that was certainly not the intent. Um, if it happens regularly, then you've got to look at your material. My mm -hmm. feeling is if somebody reacts to one thing one time, that's a blip on the screen. If it happens a second time, there are probably more people out there that were equally as offended, so I take the material out. But right. um, and, because and sometimes would you take out chiseled? Would you take out chiseled in that situation? 
Perhaps no, not. I wouldn't, because I think that that was one person's misunderstanding, and there is yeah. absolutely not anything remotely sexual about that. So, so I think in that situation I wouldn't, because I I hate to say this, it sounds so arrogant, but I know better in that situation. But if it is something that walks up to that line, and maybe it doesn't cross it, maybe it's not offensive to most people, but sometimes somebody it may be to somebody, you got to pay attention to that, because in my opinion, it's not worth irritating. It's like doing political jokes. It's not worth irritating half the audience to make a point. Somehow that just doesn't work for me. I think you lose then the ability to influence them from that point on if you're right. if you offend them. Right. I totally agree. And I think Rosita Perez said years ago, if you've offended, you know, one person, it may be too it may be one too many. So it's something to think right. about for sure. Yeah. Now, a comment came across something Darren LaCroix, LaCroix and Craig Valentine are both has said really stuck to it's me. Uncover the humor. Don't add it. It's already there. What do you think about that? Well, I think that's true a lot of times, but I think, uh, I, I mean, one of, my, one of my favorite things to do is to take a story that is mildly amusing and make it hilarious. And mm-hmm. I think in order to do that, a lot of times we have to, we, I mean, maybe we're talking about semantics here, but I think what we're doing is we're taking material, uh, the way I would describe it, we're not changing the facts so that it does not resemble the story it started out to be, but we're telling it funny. So we're adding things that, like, for instance, I tell a story about my wife cutting a big swath across my hair when she was cutting my hair one time. She just cut this long strip down the back of it, thinking that the blade guard was on the clippers, but it wasn't. So <laughs> essentially, I have this bald spot that is now connected to my neck through this long alleyway. And so I I, I tell the story. People are reacting. They're laughing. And I said, it, it looked like my bald spot had an exit ramp. Now, that's just, I don't know why, where I came up with that. I don't know what made me think of it. It's a funny line. It gets a huge reaction. But that, to me, is an example of adding humor to the already funny story to make it even funnier. Right. So, so I think it's both. I think we, do, yeah. we, we often miss stuff that's there that we can uncover, and then I think we also can add it. We can create humor along the way of the story, of the journey of telling the story. Good. Okay. So we've offered up a few ideas in terms of how to really uh, go about getting the humor out. Let's let's see if we can get a um, a question here from someone who I'm not sure. I don't know that we really have an ability to workshop any ideas because you have to tell a whole story and kind of get it to punch up. But let's see if anybody has any questions for you. And what they can do right now is hit five star on your phone hit five star and that's going to show me that your uh, hand is raised and uh, i'll be able to unmute you and this is another new technology that we're testing out here so i hope somebody will attempt to ask a question here so i can try it out can i while we're waiting can i share a technique with you that i think can be helpful to people and it's not something new and so i don't want to pretend that it's something i came up with but it's the system that i use to write humor uh, what I try to do is look for what I call the magic of humor is this concept called congruent incongruence. And essentially what that is is that two items that are connected in some way but disconnected in the same way. So, um, you know, if I were to tell you a joke and I said, um, you know, this mushroom walked into a bar and the bartender said, I'm, I'm sorry we don't serve mushrooms here. And he goes, why? Well, I'm a fun guy. All right, so it's a, it's a very corny old bad joke. But what's happening is, is you have a connection between 
a mushroom and fungus, fungi, and the phrase fungi. It's disconnected, but it's connected, and it's this this combination of the two that gives it the humor. So when I'm writing humor, what I'm looking for is those connected disconnects, and I'll make a column of two different ideas, and I'll just brainstorm those two different ideas and look for those places where there might be overlap, and that, to me, is where I find humor. Very cool. Very cool. Now, we have a question from June Klein. Is there a formula that you use or any kind of process that you use to funny up the observations? And she says, yes, he's just explained it now. Great minds think alike. Okay. Yeah. So I guess yeah. you've already really explained that. Let me, let me give you another example because I think this is okay. sometimes hard for people to get their head around. So let's just say um, I'll give you an example that happened to me. I'm going into my Rotary Club, and on this particular day, I'm supposed to do five minutes of just shtick. Uh, to start the meeting off. So I'm, the night before, I'm trying to come up with things. Well, it just so happens that that day or the day before was when Tiger Woods drove his car into the tree right next to his yard. All right, so he just you know he went less than you know less than the length of his yard and hit a tree. So I, I do this thing where I make two columns on a piece of paper. One of them is golf. Uh, one of them is cars. And I start looking for the common denominator. Well, of course, the, the most obvious denominator is driver. Uh, you have a driver in golf, and you have a driver in a car. So the joke that I came up with the next day was I said to the group, I said, I don't know if you saw this in the paper or not, but the PGA just announced that Tiger Woods now leads the PGA in shortest drives. Oh. So, so here's where all that came from. There is a statistic in the PGA for longest drives. Well, <laughs> he hit a, hit a tree, like, in his yard. So... That's where the two ideas merge. You've got two completely different ideas, but they come together in some way, and they're disconnected but also connected. So that's the process. And uh, and you you gave like a cute joke about it, staying current, but not necessarily delving into the muck that was that whole situation. You kind of stayed up on the surface of it, which I think is smart. Right. Nicely done. Nicely done. I'm not getting any hands up here. Let me just try it again. If you want to ask the host to speak, you can use five star on your phone, five star, and that will show me that you've got your hand raised and either nobody's doing it or it's not working. So I'd like to know either way if it's, uh, I definitely want to know if it's not working. Oh, there we go. Yay. Okay, let's go to Kristen. One second here. We're going to unmute you, Kristen. Okay, Kristen, we should be able to hear you now. Can you hear me? Yes, great. Oh, terrific. I just wanted to uh, make a comment about uh, certainly going through the formula to to find that humor, to add it, um, whatever. You're right, it's probably semantics. But then afterwards... It's funnier if you allow the audience time to laugh. So I just wondered, Dan, what you had to say about that. Uh, some of the speaker coaches I've had call it stepping on the laugh. And uh, I think that that's a big part of humor is giving the audience that time to really get the joke and to assimilate it and to really laugh at it. So do you have thoughts on that? Absolutely. And it's... Um I will tell you that it's something that I struggle with all the time because I have a tendency to, to speak quickly when I'm doing a presentation. I, I, number one, need to slow down, and number two, let the audience. What, what Lou Heckler told me one time was to savor the line like they're savoring uh, a fine Werther's candy. You know, the idea mm-hmm. you just you just you sit there and enjoy it. 
And, and again, I'll give you another example. The other day when I did this, this speech at NSA, one, I, I mentioned Lou Heckler because he he teaches and talks a lot about the power of the pause to allow people to get the humor, to think about what you just said. There is power in that pause. Now, the timing of it is often a feel. It's like you've got to figure out when you've given it enough time you need to move on. That's part of the intuitive part of comedy, I think, is knowing when to then jump in and deliver that next line. But the other day, I went up to Lou as I was giving my speech, and I acknowledged him for teaching me the power of, and then I just stopped, and I did not <laughs> say anything. Now, here was the wild thing about it is is that a lot of people who know Lou are knowing that I'm going to talk about the pause, so they're already starting to laugh. But I just sat, I stood there and let it go. And I, I told my wife later, I said, I let it go probably twice as long as I had anticipated letting it go because it just kept growing. And then I had to realize, okay, I've got to, I've got to jump in here because it can't go on forever because we have to move on. But that was just, what a great illustration to me of how that works. The longer I waited, the bigger laugh I got. And that's just cool to me when, when you stumble in on something like that and you go, yeah, I knew this. I knew it, in, you know, I knew it, um, in my head, but I didn't always practice it. And it just reinforces that that absolutely works. If you don't let people laugh, they will stop laughing in the future for fear of missing whatever you're going to say. Nice. Nice. And uh, great great question, Christian. Christian, thank you. Let's go ahead and uh, talk to Tommy next. Tommy, you had a question for Ron? Yes, I do. Uh, The type of humor that, that I use a lot of times, or at least people tell me I'm good at, is is really responsive or kind of ad hoc right off the cusp. And, and I'm trying to figure out the best format to use that. I know question and answer is one format, but I usually play off whatever it is the audience says, and I've been able to find things to say back to them that, that I've been told is, is where I'm most funny. So I'm trying to figure out the best venue to use. So experiential so, so is, sounds like yours. Yeah, and that's a great that's a great gift if you can do that. A lot of people are not good in that situation, and you can watch them, and it's very awkward because you see something happen that lends itself to a great a great follow up line, and they're on to the next thing. So I think if you can do that, you need to exploit that. Uh, Brad Montgomery is just really good at that. He's a magician, but he brings people up on stage, and he just interviews them. He's getting ready to use them in some sort of activity to illustrate a point, but before he does that. He interviews them, and what he's done is he's developed over the years questions that lead him to potentially funny answers. They're not absurd questions, but he just knows that, like he'll say to somebody, you're at a conference, what would you be doing back home if you weren't here now? And he's done it enough to know that probably one out of every two times he's going to get a funny answer, and then he can play off of that. So I would suggest that you create some process within your presentation that allows you to either roam through the audience and ask people questions or bring them up on stage and, and create that environment where you can get them into a dialogue and then you can use that skill that you have of being able to respond in a funny way. Audiences love that. Um, I used to do it where I'd go in through the audience and ask them to share their most embarrassing moment. Two things happened with that. One is that people told things they should have never told in public, which just mm-hmm. continued to amaze me as I watched mm-hmm. it. But secondly, it allowed me then to respond to what they had said with something funny, and it just added to the whole experience. So I think that's a great thing to do, and it's a nice way to get us off the stage without the focus solely on us. Well, I think, too, I work with family-owned businesses and their advisors, and if I can put that kind of humor in there, 
it's a lot more fun for both of us, I think. And then the other thing just to remember is that once you deliver one funny line, tuck that away because you can use it over and over and over. It'll sound like you just came up with it. So, yeah. so don't throw those good lines away. Find ways to keep using them. Nice. Thank you, Tommy. And uh, I think Nick was saying uh, over on the web chat, Nick was saying, way to go, because most of the time you don't think about it until the next day, what that funny line should have been. Uh, let's talk about that here really quick, uh, Ron, because should you not plan for all the things that could normally happen in the room, a cell phone rings, somebody drops a water glass, you know, just all the various things, that the fire alarm goes off, do you have a plan for all of those things that are funny? You know, I should. <laughs> and some of the things that have happened, like, like I, I, I think the greatest line I ever heard was the guy that stepped off the edge of the stage and landed down on the floor. It wasn't that far of a fall, but he landed on there and he looked up and said, I'll, I'll take questions from the floor now. And that's just, to me, brilliance. That's brilliance in action. So when we see things like that or we experience them, I think they get tucked away in this mental bank that we then recall when those things happen. Sometimes I just react in the moment because what's cool for me is I might have just said something that combined with what happened makes the funny line that I would have never been able to prepare for. I think it's always good to have those saver lines to prepare for things that happen. Uh, But I think if if you're really present in the moment, it will be there for you. There'll be something that you can play off of right there and then, and that makes it even better because it's it's really tuned into what's going on. Nice. Hey, we have a um, caller from the 210 area code. I'm going to unmute them. If you could announce yourself, please, the caller from the 210 area code. This is Dave. Dave, go ahead. We would love to hear your question. I really didn't have a question. I was just trying to help you with your technology. Oh, I'm te- <laughs> Sweet, <laughs> no, no, I was going to ask so him about much. top list, if he had any success with that and what his thoughts were on that. What's that? Say it again, Dave. You just broke up a little bit. Just say it one more time, what you asked. I was, I was going to ask about top ten list, if he had success with that and what his thoughts were on that. Thank you. Okay, so um, I'm going to be a little biased in this, and uh, um, I'm a big believer that that, that, that it's not stealing per se, but it's using something else that someone else created. So my thought was come up with another way that's your own that then becomes identified with you. And now I do I do a list of questions that I ask healthcare audiences that I came up with my, my own, but I don't call it a top ten list. I just say I've got a question a self assessment questionnaire to determine whether you're stressed out in healthcare. I could very easily call it a top ten list, but in the world of comedy, they call it hack when people take other people's material or play off other people's material. I, I didn't, I never did stand up, so I'm not, I'm not, you know, saying that that's what I did. But I'm a big believer that it has much more value to you if it, if it, if it's yours rather than someone else's. Now, all that being said, there are a lot of people out there that do great games like parody of games like Jeopardy or things like that, where they're playing off of a game that everybody knows. Um, but I, I would I, I tend to be more into doing my own thing rather than using something that's known by somebody else. Thanks. Okay. That's a good question, Dave. Thank you very much. Let's go next to the uh, two o four area code. I'm going to unmute you if you could announce yourself, please. Hi. Hi. My name is Roland. Ron, I I want to know if um, when you're on stage and people are laughing, do you actually let yourself laugh at a certain point and join in and how do you manage that 
That's a great that's question. A, that's a wonderful question. I'll tell you why. Because there are probably just as many people that say one versus the other thing. Yeah. I think for me, it, it, it's based on it's based on the individual situation and what makes the most sense in that moment. Uh, sometimes it gets a bigger laugh if I deadpan it, if I don't show any expression. You know, something I've just said is about something about me that's funny about me. Um, I may just stare at the audience like I'm, I'm, I can't believe that person said that or I can't believe that happened. And my deadpan is going to get a bigger laugh than if I laughed about it. But sometimes I'm laughing with them about something that happened in a situation. And it's kind of like we're all in this together. I think that's hilarious. So it varies. I don't think I do either all the time, but I, I bounce it back and forth based on what makes the most sense in that situation. Now, I know some people say never laugh at your own material, but what I think I convey when I'm laughing with them about something is this is funny and I'm enjoying it too. Right. And I think some audiences appreciate that. They enjoy that. Uh, now, yeah, the flip side is if you're laughing all the time and sometimes it's not funny, then you look like you're just kind of faking it or something. It's not real. But um, I, I think this each situation might require different responses. Thank you, Alan. That was a great, uh, great thing to bring forward. The um, the show that makes me laugh most when they crack up is Jimmy Fallon, and he was well-known on Saturday Night Live for always cracking up during skits. And typically it's when he and his sidekick are going back and forth that he right. just can't hold it together. And I think that is so funny. It's, if you see someone else laughing hysterically, you, you can hardly control yourself. Let's talk about the face for a minute. Because you, even in your photo that we advertise this program on, your your pictures and everything, you have the face <laughs> that could just make people laugh in particular ways. So let's talk about how you use your face and your body on the platform. Well, <laughs> I'll tell you something. A guy came up to me after a pro- I had done a program a year or so ago, and it was an HR program. And this guy works in HR, but he's also a speaker, so he's also a member of NSA. And he called me up afterwards, and he goes, you know, when you walked on stage, I was like, well, this guy looks like a nerd. I mean, like a banker, like this businessman. And then he's funny, and it made it better. And yeah. um, and, and Lou Heckler and I have talked about that, that if you look like a business speaker or you look like a banker, no offense to bankers, but you have that sort of formal look, and then you're funny, it works better. Mm-hmm. So I, I play around with that, but I probably could do so much more with it. I think deadpan is so funny. and. Oh. You know, just not any expression, just kind of staring at the audience. It's amazing how that works. Um, and sometimes you can contort your face in different ways. Jeannie Robertson does that really well. Lou Heckler does that really well. I think it can be a powerful tool. And for me, it's just playing around with different things and trying them and seeing how they work. But uh, it's a great tool. And our our bodies, there's a, there's a story I tell where I talk about my son, hopping back to his seat after a karate tournament. It just looks so silly. I could tell that, but when I actually hop, it's so absurd looking. This guy in a suit hopping across Mm -hmm. the stage, it gets a tremendous laugh because it doesn't look right. Something's off about it, and that's what's funny about it. So um, I think whenever we can do that, it it adds to the the whole experience. Nice. Hey, what do you think? Uh, June asked this question about any saver lines. Now, I'm assuming that she's like thinking when you're thinking. <laughs> Got any? What's your best? What's your best saver line used? As in, save me. Yeah, it's funny. Um, when we did the uh, humor lab six or seven years ago in, in, NSA, in for NSA, 
we had a bunch of humorists who were teaching people how to be funny. And one of the aspects of it was people would get up and do three minutes of material, and then we would make it funnier. Well, some of our lines hit and some didn't. And one of the lines that somebody said, if a, if material didn't hit, they would say, well, I did this line. It was very, very funny. And they go, well, it's not funny here, but it was really funny at this other. And it became this running joke. And sometimes yeah. I'll actually say that. Um, you know, I'll, I'll deliver something and it gets no response. And I'll go, you know, that was really funny. Not here, but it was at home. Or um, I did that. You know, my wife, my wife didn't laugh at that either, but she was polite enough not to groan. Um, you know, there's... When the, when the microphone squeaks or something, you always always enjoy feedback, but not immediately. Uh, you know, right. there are all kinds of things that you can do. Uh, I'm not sure I have like the best saver line um, because, a lot, like I said, a lot of them are in the moment, very specific to that place rather than generic. Nice. Well, that's been some really, really good stuff. Uh, you know, we got off to a little rocky start with our technology, but I think all in all, people have probably taken a lot and a lot of notes. And tell us, Ron, if people want to get involved with you and Dave Glickman, how do they do that in order to maybe have you come and punch up their uh, speech for them? Tell them how it works. Yeah, basically how it works is that we work off a transcript. So we take a presentation, and if it's not already transcribed, we can have it transcribed. And the reason for that is that we work much faster off a transcript than watching a video or listening to audio, just because it's so much more time-consuming to do it that way. And um, we charge by the hour, and essentially we just add humor in the context of the presentation. So every you know five to seven pages, four to six pages, something like that, we'll add 20 or so lines, depending on the material. Now, some material might be really maybe harder than others, but uh, g- generally we can add 20 or so lines for every five to six typed pages, uh, single uh, double-spaced pages. So... Um, and so we, you know, somebody has a full presentation, you know, that might be 30 typed pages and we just, you know, we just work through it in order to make the material funnier. And our, our sense is, is that we give you a lot because we know that some of the material you'll love, some of it you'll, you'll hate, and then some of it will lead you to your own ideas. So we know that not every single line will be a winner. That's why we would give you more than you need so that then people can pick what they want to use. That sounds like really great value. And, you know, it really drives home the point of the fact that speaking is a craft. And when you write it down, you're able to look at every single word and say, now, is that the best word or can I, can I, you know, get, make that word better? And I think that once we get more consciously competent and really craft our presentations, you're going to see the results. I, I've always said there's no better form of marketing than a great speech. And right. so I guess today has been about marketing then, even though we thought it was going to be about uh, humor. But I want to say, geez, Ron, I, I, I feel like I got lucky because I got you right before you, you moved <laughs> into your president's role. And no doubt your uh, inbox is going crazy while you're on this call with us. And I just want to really say thank you so much. Thanks for listening to The Wealthy Speaker Show. Please visit speakerlauncher.com for your free Wealthy Speaker audit and visit speakerlauncher.com forward slash podcast for show notes and many more resources to help you catapult your speaking business. See you soon, Wealthy Speakers.